said in his, uh, in his biography that they couldn't even afford books. The only book they could buy or even afford him or afford to give him was the Bible. His father, as time went on, uh, would give him away as a slave to work between 10 to 31 cents per day. This was back in those days to the Indiana neighbors where they were residing. Yet as you study the life of Abraham Lincoln, despite of all the numerous disadvantages that you see this man had, despite of what we would probably call as unfairness in a person's life, yet this man changed the landscape of America. He in fact is known as one of the best Precedence up till this point. Thomas Edison, the man who has 1,093 patents to his name. This man failing to create a light bulb. Obviously, there are many different stories and uh, 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 biographies concerning this. Some say that he attempted to do it 9,999 times. And then the last, the, the one time after that, he made it. Uh, so we, we don't know exactly the number. But it seemed like most commentators, most historians believe it was close to 9,999 times that he tried to create a light bulb. And in all of those attempts, he failed. In fact, when Thomas Edison went to school, his teacher sent him back, writing a letter to his mother and one of, the, one of the statements the teacher made, he was too stupid to learn anything. This man was raised, educated by his mother, and today the company he founded, known as General Electric's GE, still is, uh, is still alive and it's still continuing to innovate. See, Thomas Edison, if anything was true, also had what we would say, an unfair advantage in life. I want to talk to you about unfair advantages. Because we seem to find in the culture we live in, this common sentiment that people commonly uh, begin to make, and they say, life is unfair. Life is not fair. Life is unfair. Young people like to quote that a lot these days. Uh, um, um, and, and it's very interesting, growing up, I heard uh, uh, this statement come so often to my ears, and I never really got thinking about it, because somehow, to conclude that life is unfair, it must mean that there is a portion of life where there is also fairness. The reality is this, that people who constantly profess that life is unfair, people who often quote and say others have it better for them, will never ever be able to advance in life with such mindset. If Thomas Edison spoke those very words, life is unfair, 
growing up in a home where, uh, you know, the teacher sent home a letter and said that, you know what, too stupid to learn anything. Or even if Abraham Lincoln, the man who changed the landscape in America, uh, who grew up in a farm and his parents at that point of time couldn't even afford to give him a book. Listen carefully, church. If these men continue to say, you know what, life is just going to be like this. Life is just not fair. Life is just not going the way I expect it to go. They have it better. Those successful people, the reason they can become successful is because somehow they didn't have to go through what I'm going through. Listen, with mindsets like that, you can never excel in life. And I want to deal with that spirit tonight. I want to preach a sermon I've called Unfair Advantage out of John chapter 5, verses 5 through 9. I want you to look at this text tonight with me. John 5, 5 through 9. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. So the story that we're reading here narrates a life of a man that was crippled. This man, in essence, uh, was dealing with an infirmity. According to commentators, they cannot, they cannot somehow point their finger to what type of infirmity this man was dealing with. Some believe it was palsy. But whatever the case is, this man was dealing with a physical infirmity. He was unable to move. He was unable to pick himself up from where he was sitting into the pool where everyone said is where healing is found. And this is very interesting to me because the author doesn't elaborate the condition of this man except for the fact that he was indeed physically incapable. And we know that in verse 7, the Bible says, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. His infirmity this evening paralyzed his physical movement. Can I say that again? His infirmity, a condition that he has been dealing with for the past 38 years, paralyzed his physical movement. Genesis 16 verses 2, we find a correlation uh, of a similar uh, uh, outcome in Sarah's life. The Bible says, he shall be, sorry, uh, 16 verses 2, Cheng Kuang. I think Jeremy may have made a mistake there. Uh, 16 verses 2. So Sarah said to Abraham, see now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarai. So here we find a physical limitation, a barrier. 
a hindrance to bad, bad children. Here was a woman who desired to have children. Here was a woman who wanted to have children. We know that the Bible tells us about the promised child that was to be given to Abraham and Sarah. But there came a stage in their life where the promise seemed so far away simply because of a physical condition they were dealing with. Luke 15, 30-32 But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and alive again, was lost and is found. So in both these passages, including John 5, if there's one thing we can draw a parallel to, it is that life seems unfair for these people. The man is sitting there. He cannot move. He's physically disabled. And how can I take myself from where I am to the pool to receive healing? It's not my fault. I'm like this. Are you feeling me? Are you getting what I'm saying tonight? It's not my fault. Life is unfair. The woman, Sarah, whose reason for not being able to give birth is a physical condition. There's a hindrance, her age probably, and different causes of barrenness. And she looks at life and she says, this is unfair. Even if I wanted to have a child, I can't. This is unfair. The boy, the young man whose brother came back after walking away from his father. What is he crying out? This is unfair. Why treat him so well and ignore me? I've been with you all this while. Life is unfair. And I want you to understand so often lime, li, sorry, lime pull up. life seems unfair because of the circumstances we've inherited. Things that we have in our lives that we didn't ask for. We didn't ask for these things, but these are the things that seem to ultimately hinder our movement. Life also seems to uh, seems to be unfair when you look at other people as you heard me preach this morning you look at other people just like this man he's sitting by the pool he's sitting on the stairs and he's looking and all of the other people that are there are stepping into the pool with ease they're getting healed. Now, you have to believe that this was not something he did just this year. This was not something he did. He didn't just come and sit there for the past several months. The Bible says he had this infirmity for 38 years. If anything was true, he must have been sitting there for quite a while hoping to get healed and to constantly see people go past him. To constantly see people get ahead of him. That makes life unfair, doesn't it? Oh yeah, they have an added advantage. They can speak well. They have so-and-so as their father or their mother. They have the money. Or they have a good life. 
And we can always think that somehow those are added benefits to someone's blessing in life. Can I make very clear with you right here? God is a God of justice. We may look at life and we may feel stuck where we're at. We may seem to process all that's going on and say we're unable to move forward. We can either blame our past, my upbringing, my father, my mother, my ex-girlfriend, my ex-boyfriend. We can blame people around us. We can blame our ex-bosses. We, we, the list can go on and on, beloved. Or we can even become upset with people that are doing better than us. And I tell you, when you look at life from those two point of views, it will always seem unfair. If you always find a reason to blame someone for where you are now, you will always, without a doubt, find life to be unfair. If you always focus on people's success and them doing better than you, instead of being grateful with who you are, you will always find life to be unfair. This doesn't mean we don't challenge ourselves, but it's important that we catch a right perspective. John 9, 2-3, the Bible says his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? He, 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 can you see what the disciples, this guy is blind. He didn't ask for blindness. Whose fault was this? Life is so unfair for this guy. Poor guy. He didn't ask for blindness. And the Bible says, Jesus answered them and he said, Neither this, this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And so Jesus begins to, uh, 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 you know, eliminate this mindset of blaming someone for our circumstances. Jesus begins to eliminate the potential of saying that someone else, uh, someone else has had an influence in my life that has limited me from being who I can become. And this is the danger. My uncle, many years ago, he worked for a very uh, uh, um, uh, good organization. And uh, this was, you know, a reasonably large organization he worked with. He was doing fairly well. Uh, but he had a habit. He had a habit of drinking. And so he got drunk very regularly. Eventually, he left that company that was not too far away from here. And he went to Langkawi and he worked in Langkawi for a while. He was also doing fairly well for a while until down the road, 
somehow people, you know, family believed that someone spoke into his life and someone said something, you know, and passed a curse on him. And after that, nothing seemed to work out well for him. Every time, you know, he gets a job, he loses it in a short period of time. Every time he gets another employment, he loses it in a short period of time. Listen, beloved, there can come a place where we can blame people for our condition. And Jesus is saying, stop blaming his parents. Stop blaming what has happened in the past. This man doesn't have to be bound by his past. And Jesus is simply saying, we can look at it this way. That his disability or his limitation is ultimately for one purpose and that is to reveal the glory of God. And you see, it's all in the perspective. How many times I hear people make the command, life is so unfair. My parents did this, my uncle did that, my father did this, my mother did that, my sister did this, my, grand, my grandmother did this, and all, you know, all grandmother, grandfather story. But the real problem is you. You don't want to change. Amen. We blame everyone when the real problem is you. And Jesus said, I want to work on his life, not his mom and dad. I want to work in his life. He's the one I want to show the glory in. He's the individual I want the glory to be seen in. And this is what Jesus did. So, Jesus makes the distinct difference. In our text, what changed for this man was when Jesus came on the scene. Now, let's dissect what's happening here in verses 6. The Bible says, when Jesus saw him lying there. The Bible says, Jesus saw him. Jesus walks past this man. And this man responds to a question that Jesus asks. This man begins to respond. He asks him, Jesus said, do you want to be made well? He says, no one is there to take me into the pool. See, the question Jesus posed this man is significantly important. Do you want to be made well? You see, this man's response tells us he truly, look at this man, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. So this statement that we find in our text this, de describes to us this man truly wanted to be made well. But his infirmity was his limitation. You see, his response suggests that he indeed tried I want you to look at this here. The Bible says, when I am coming, another steps before me. So it's not that this man sat there and he just said, let someone carry me in. This man didn't just sit there and, you know, say to himself, oh, you know what, uh, when someone is prepared to take me in, when someone sees me, um, you know, the day will come, I'll just sit here and beg for money. No, no, no. The Bible says, I tried to get in, but someone else gets before me. So this tells me this man had a clear intention to get better. This man didn't want to stay in his place. This man didn't want to remain the way he was. He wanted to get 
better. He wanted to be made whole, but the point is, others had an advantage over him. Listen very carefully to me here. For many, the question is, do you want to be made well? Stop, stop, stop talking. Stop talking about the people that are doing well. Stop talking about your past. Stop blaming your circumstances. Come on, come on. The question is, do you want to get well? That's the only question Jesus asked him. He didn't say, what did your father and mother do? He didn't say, you know, what happened in the past? He didn't say, oh, poor little boy. They all went past you. So sad. No way I can help you. No. He didn't didn't even pay attention to any of those things which people often complain about and say life is unfair. Why do people say life is unfair? Because they see other people doing better than them, number one. They cannot accept it. Oh, that person, because I look at his, you know, he's got an advantage over us. He's been doing this for so long, blah, 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 blah. And they always have to look at other people and say something negative about it. And then the second point is, they either look at their past and blame their father and mother, or blame their circumstances, blame their tradition, and Jesus says, enough is enough. Do you want to be made well? You. This question is for you. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? That was all Jesus asked him, and I think... That question propelled Jesus to move in this man's life. And we're going to dissect that in a moment. How many Christians, how many people respond to God like this? I want to get well, but I don't want to do it that way. I I want to get well. Yes, yes, I want to get well. Do you want to get well? Yes, I want to get well, but... Not your way. I want to do it this way. And you know what the problem is? We want God to help us on our terms, which God will never do. We will tell God, yeah, I want to get well, but don't you see I'm paralyzed? What's wrong with you, Jesus? What kind of question is that? Can't you tell I'm bad? I can't get myself out. You see, this man could have responded to Jesus that way. You know what? Instead of asking me these stupid questions, why don't you give me a lift and take me into the pool? No, he didn't give smart aleck answers. It was a one question to one answer. What is our spirit? When Jesus asked us, When we look at life and we continually complain, it's unfair, it's unfair, it's unfair. The question here today is, do we want to get well? How sad so many Christians never want to get better. They like to stay where they are. The question that Jesus asks can result in many answers. No, you know what, Jesus? I like this. I like being like this. I, I like to stay paralyzed like this. You know what? Many times, we never fight to say, God, yes, I want to be made well. Jesus could help this man 
because he did not want to remain the same. He was trying to get better. And is that true with you and I? Do you want to get better this evening? Or do you want to continue to look back? Mark 9, 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Here's a man who's simply saying to God, Oh God, I truly want to change, but I cannot see how it can happen. Will you be honest with God tonight? See, Jesus did something so out of context. Listen very carefully to me here. He changed this man's outcome without using the pool. Oh, I like that. Because in this man, the only way he can experience change in his opinion, the only way I can get and find healing, the only way I can find myself being made whole is if I enter the pool. That's the only way this man begins to think it's possible for him to get delivered. But interestingly, Jesus didn't need to use the apparatus to help this man. Jesus healed this man without the pool. I want to make this statement to you. His response and God's action set this man free. His response. Do you want to be made well? Yes. No excuses. Oh, you don't know my past. No, no, I didn't ask you about your past. I just asked you, do you want to be made well? That's all. Yes or no? Oh, you don't know I'm parallel. No, I know all of that. I'm Jesus. Do you want to be made? But there's no one to take me. No. Yes or no? No excuses. He's Jesus. And I said to you, when Jesus steps into the scene, all things change us. This man's response triggered God's action and brought deliverance. Jesus spoke words that this man received. The Bible says in verses 9, he immediately was made whole. Immediately made whole without the pool, without the apparatus, without the without the water, without all of that. This man was made whole without all of that. Why? Because when Jesus stepped into the scene, Jesus changed the entire circumstances. His infirmity no longer was a hindrance. But you know what is the point you have to establish and catch here? The Bible says this man acted immediately. No procrastination. He didn't think twice. Possible. Uh, sure. Can happen. Uh. Is this going to happen? Uh? He didn't wait 
for Jesus to confirm. He acted upon the words of Jesus. And I make it clear to you, when you act on the words of Christ, when you begin to act on the words that are spoken by Jesus, when Jesus says jump and you jump, when Jesus takes step and you step, when Jesus says give and you give, when Jesus says pray and you pray, when Jesus says read and you read, listen to me, when you act on the words of God, I declare to you, you will find breakthrough. What limited this man what made this man unable to take himself from here to the pool was broken in a moment of time. The unfair advantages that people often say, you don't know my past, pastor. You don't know my background, pastor. Pastor, you don't know my skin color, pastor. Pastor, you don't understand. Uh, listen to me. I believe that we serve a mighty God who, is, who reigns over all the earth. So there's no such thing for a child of God to ever believe that God cannot bless you. There's no such thing that, an, that a simple physical infirmity or a cultural bondage or even some things that are being put in place that may hold you in hostage and say, you can never excel. You can never become somebody. You can never excel in your life. You can never advance. Listen carefully to me. I do not believe that any of those things that we claim to say are unfair advantages can be a hindrance for us. Because the Bible says, what he did, he did to bring glory to God. He didn't use the pool, because the pool will get the glory. If he took this man, and he placed this man into the pool, and guess what? The pool saw healing happen in him. Guess what will happen? what most Christians do today. This pastor prayed for me and I got healed. They start worshipping the pastor. Right? Who, who, who's your pool? You see, Jesus overrides the pool. You don't need the pool to find healing. You need Jesus to find healing. That's what he taught us. That's what he showed us here. He showed us that I will do what I need to do because I want people to see my glory. Not the glory of the pool. Not the glory of a man. Not the glory of a method. Not the glory of a way. Not the glory of tradition. Not the glory of culture. Not the glory of a fixed method of doing something. No, I want people to see that I am a God who personally takes interest in your life and I will act on your behalf. See, this is where it becomes hard to trust God because our story contradicts or con becomes con it contradicts what God, we assume God can do. It's difficult to believe when you focus on who you are. The Bible says this man immediately took up his bed. He made it known. He declared it. There was no procrastination. So let's close then. Because one of the symbols of God's 
character is this. God works against all odds. God is a master at working against all odds. And I want to say to you, if you find yourself in a circumstance today that seems to be against all odds, you, you look at life and you tell yourself, Pastor, there's no way I can ever come out of this. There's no way things can change for me. You don't understand, Pastor, who my mother or my father is. You don't understand the type of person I am. You don't understand what I've gone through in life and the past that I've had to go through. You don't understand. Listen, beloved, I may not understand, but when the odds are against you, you become a perfect candidate for God to move in. This is, this is so true. You study life and you begin to identify. I preached on Paul last Sunday and I told you that Paul was probably the far, the furthest to be converted. He, he, you know, think about this guy. This guy wants to kill all the Christians. This guy wants to murder all the people that follow Jesus. This guy wants to get rid of the name of Jesus from that city. This guy doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. Here's a guy who you would think to yourself is the least of all people to be converted. And who does God touch and save? Paul. And if you study life, you will realize that God always looks for circumstances that are against all odds to move because it brings him the greatest glory. This man in this story represented a person against all odds. It doesn't make sense. He cannot carry himself from the stairs into the pool. There's no way this is going to happen. And in fact, according to the tradition of the Pharisee and the, and, 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 and the people of the day, carrying the mat, carrying one's cot, carrying the pallet was a form of work in those days. So when Jesus came to this man and he said, take up your bed and walk, you know what Jesus was suggesting to him? Work. The Pharisees viewed it as labor. So against all odds, it, this was forbidden on the Sabbath day for anyone to work. According to the Pharisaical uh, custom, anyone, anyone who works on the Sabbath day was going against the law. And what did Jesus do? Jesus commanded this man on the Sabbath, going against all odds, take up your bed and walk. I thank God that Jesus triumphs over culture and tradition. Against all odds, God removed what seemed like an unfair advantage on a day that was least expected. I make that statement to you again. God removed what seemed like an unfair advantage on a day that was least expected. Do you catch that? Let me say that again. God removed what was unfair advantage on the day that was least expected. That is going against all odds right there. This man couldn't even lift himself to the pool. 
He did something that was so contrary to human concept. He did something that was so contrary to the human thinking. He did something that was out of the box, beloved. And then it goes on. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't even use the pool, right? Against all odds, he doesn't use the pool. You know what he does? On a day that was least expected. And I want you to understand when all of life seems to be contrary to a possible breakthrough and miracle, you and I have to be ready for God to move. This story represents the enormous power of God to move in a circumstance that seems impossible and against all odds. In a story where people may commonly and oftentimes say, unfair advantage. My race, my skin colour will never give me favour like that. Let me tell you, when you have God on your side, who can be against you? Lazarus, against all odds, being in a grave, in a tomb, after three days, nearly four days, the Bible says, Jesus steps in the scene, calls this man, and he walks out of the grave alive. Against all odds. We know the story of the blind man who was blind from birth, the Bible says. He sat with his coat on the ground and he began to beg for alms every day. That coat represented a government welfare service that he was, uh, it, it, he was a part of. And the Bible says when Jesus came into the scene, Jesus touched this man. Jesus did a miracle in his, this man. He threw his coat aside. He declared that I am free because Jesus has made me free against all odds. What about the story about the fish? The money that was found in the fish's mouth. When Peter went to Jesus and Jesus says uh, to Peter, go to the go catch fish and you will find in that fish uh, tax money that you will take, pay the tax for you and for me against all odds. What are the odds that in the school of fishers that are in that sea, that Peter would actually pick up the precise fish with the money in it. What are the odds? It is always true that God works against the odds. That's why we must never come to a place and cry, unfair, 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 life is unfair. Oh, they got it better. No, listen carefully, beloved. You have a choice. Do you want to be made well? Then live in a way that progresses forward in life. Showing God, God, yes, I want to be made well. I'm not going to sit back. You heard me preach on laziness this morning. How many Christians dwell in laziness, sleep late, wake up at 10, 30, 11, 12 in the morning and, 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 and give in to the Spirit. You, you pick up the sermon, please, if you weren't here and you want to listen to that sermon and you want to get offended. <laughs> but you know I'm saying it because I love you. I'm your pastor, but 
I'm amazed when I read the book of Proverbs and the number of times the Bible speaks about sleep. Sleep. And how many times the Bible says, do not slumber, do not sleep. That sleep is a gift from God. Please, by all means, get eight, nine hours of sleep every night. If you can, you need to. It's good for your health. The Bible says that God gives His beloved sleep. But going back to what I'm saying here, don't let laziness creep in. And you can look at people and say, oh yeah, they, they, they can do it lah because you see their life is so good. Yeah, they can do it. They got money lah. That's why lah. Stop complaining. Stop comparing. Rise up and say, yes, I want to be made well. I don't want to live like this anymore. I want to be made well. And what Jesus tells him to do, work. Take up your bed and walk. He doesn't say, come, come, let me lift your bed for you, come. No, he says, pick up your bed and walk. If you're going to get better in life, you've got to work. You've got to work. You'll never get better without work. I want you to bow your heads with me. Unfair advantage. How many times life is seen from the perspective of being unfair? Beloved, I declare to you, growing up, you know, I had friends that 